This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Su An. More than 50,000 people displaced and four people dead so far. The southern states of Peninsular Malaysia is facing yet another severe case of floods, especially in Johor, as the Malaysian Meteorological Department warns that the current monsoon season is likely to last until April. Now, but with one flood after another in the past couple of years, how much of it is natural and how much is driven by uncontrolled human activity and how are all these instances of floods also upending the lives of people in these different communities. So joining me to dive into this topic is Aru Ayuni, the Communications Director of Klima Action Malaysia or also known as KAMI. Thank you so much for joining me today Aru. Thanks for having me. Now, based on the current news reports, as well as, I guess, what Kami has heard from people on the ground, could you, I guess, paint a picture of what's happening due to the floods that we're seeing in the south of Malaysia? So, we first got reports from the villages in Johor, the Orang Asli villages in Johor. Uh, and basically, they experienced heavy rains continuously for three days, nonstop. And they reported that many of the houses were already swept away by water. And a lot of the villages were already drowned at that point. Mm-hmm. So, they reached out to us basically after all those things happened. And... Compared to previous year, this was already amplified already by uh, Tuan Dola from the JPOAJ. Uh, he said that this flood is definitely worse uh, that compared to 2006. They experienced uh, floods previously, but this is one of the worst they have experienced. And we are also continuously seeing floods happening throughout Johor. We are seeing more uh, in Kluang, Batu Pahat, and also Kota Tinggi. So the numbers that you said, uh, 55,000, that was reported by the international uh, reports. Mm-hmm. But based on NATMA and local reports, I see it's around 22,000. But that, that I think that's another issue that we can deep dive later on about data integrity. But yeah, that's basically what's what's happening right now. Mm. How and and let's dive into the consequences of a flood first, right? What are the impact that we see, um, you know, in the immediate aftermath of a flood, as well as in the long term, when we talk about you know the human impact, as well as how it changes the infrastructure and environment in a place. So the first immediate thing that we see is people displaced. A big number of people are already displaced. And we also see in, in the context of the Orang Asli, we also see a lot of human wildlife conflicts. For example, JPOAJ reported one of their peoples were uh, was attacked by a crocodile. So that's the immediate thing that we can see. And there's also many indigenous villages that are not covered on the media or reported mm-hmm. so when when floods happen the first thing that happens is that ro- roads are cut off and then number two communications will be cut off so that's one of the challenges when we first uh, helped uh, Kampung Orang Asli Peta in Mersing mm-hmm. so they only they they got updates very little because the communications were cut off so we don't know what's happening the only way we know is we if we use boats 
or helicopters. So a lot of the news that we see, a lot of the info that we see on social media are only the information that is accessible. Other than that, we don't really know what's happening. So I can I can confidently say like 22,000 is probably, you know, the only numbers that we know. But there's so many other orang asli villages, for example, that we, 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 we cannot access. We don't know what's happening. Hmm. And I guess on that note, I'll tie into what you mentioned earlier about data integrity, right? Why is collecting all this data especially important if we're trying to address the impact of a flood? Yeah, so the issue of data integrity is so important because we're dealing with flood victims. So we see so many different numbers being reported on on the media, on social media, and we don't know how to verify the accuracy of these figures Um and this is important because we need to send people, we need to send boats to these areas for relief efforts. And we don't even know what's what's the official number. So, um, yeah, this is crucial because inaccurate data can, you know, hinder relief efforts, basically. So, we need, the government needs to work with NGOs, grassroots communities working on the ground and make this data official and post them on platforms that are, um, that can be trusted, basically. Mm. I think if I'm not mistaken, the info that Natma has is often based on the people who have been moved to temporary shelters, right? And so that's what they have yeah. based on that. And you don't, we don't know, like you say, the people who are cut off, the people whom we have, exactly. we, we can't get to. We don't know how many people are affected. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about the the floodings itself, right? This current annual monsoon season started back in November. Um. And the Met Department expects that this wet weather will last until April. Now it's not too long ago that we've just had a severe flood. Um. Back in December on the east coast, when it was reported that more than seventy two thousand people had to evacuate. Um. Several people died as well during that flood. And of course, many of us still have it fresh in our mind of the twenty twenty one floods that happened right here in the Klang Valley, I guess. And then, of course, on top of that, right, with all these news reports, we hear that, oh, we've, this state has had record rainfall, its highest since, you know, in, in decades. To what extent are floods at this severity and frequency, quote-unquote, normal? You know, what's fueling it? Because it seems like it's getting more common. So in terms of the scientific part about the reports from Met Department, I think you can, uh, I, I cannot answer this. I think you need to answer the, uh, let, the scientists basically answer this part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can say how people have reacted because of this frequency of the floods that are happening. It's it's extremely saddening to see that people are getting numb to all this information. I'm seeing all this disconnect from people, especially in this Johor flood. So I've had messages from my friends basically saying they don't know about the floods that are happening. They only know because... Uh, Klima Action Malaysia posted on our Instagram or it's from my personal Instagram account. So they don't know that these floods are happening and I'm I'm just appalled that I'm hearing these kind of things. We have approximately 50,000 people that are affected and Malaysians themselves don't know this are happening. So um, yeah, there's this disconnect and yeah, people are already numb to news about the floods because they see it, you know, during 2021. And after 2021, after December 2021, we, I don't know if you realize, but the floods has been continuous every Mm -hmm. week, everywhere. So I think people are already numb to this information and people are unfortunately less caring about what's happening. And when we work uh, with, you know, especially with 
vulnerable communities such as the orang asli you know the disconnect is even further um and basically no disaster reliefs are being sent over there or we get less donations or we get less shares on uh, or basically awareness on on the media so and even the media themselves are not interested covering uh, this news because they think well another flood's going to happen again soon or uh, well we covered flood last month so why are we covering it again so this is this is really unfortunate and um Yeah, I think the media is more interested in covering about new technology when it comes to climate, uh, the climate crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see more coverage on technologies for carbon removal, carbon offset, electric vehicles, you know, rather than what's the deep rooted problem behind the floods that are happening. So nobody is really talking about our resilience in the climate crisis how how do we how is this flood issues intersecting with injustices that are happening poverty discrimination overconsumption basically that is leading us to to this crisis so you know another example is the infra projects uh, project tebatan banjir that the government is coming up with mm-hmm. so it is costing billions of ringgit you know for our generation in the next few decades so you know climate proofing our infrastructure is not enough without the focus on the human rights aspect of this flooding which i think needs to be covered more hmm. now let's talk about the 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 human activity aspect aru you know a lot of a lot of environmental activists and advocates always highlight how yes we the floods may be natural disasters but there is human activity that's contributing to it could you elaborate more on that yeah so just going back to the basics basically carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas that is trapping heat atmosphere uh, earth atmosphere and basically contributing to global warming mm-hmm. so human activities like burning fossil fuels um deforestation industrial processes these are all activities that have increased the concentration of co2 in the atmosphere and basically increases the temperature of uh, the earth and we are seeing the imbalance in our climate so that's why we're seeing frequent and intense extreme weather events like the floods droughts and storms not just in malaysia but everywhere so the g20 countries basically the rich countries they are um, basically contributing to 75% of international trade 60% of the global population and um you know we're talking countries like the united states china japan and these other european countries so you know this the activities the economic growth and development and the industrial consumption all of this is basically contributing to the greenhouse gas emission so basically in summary g20 countries uh, economies are responsible for ab- about 75% to 80% of global greenhouse gas emission so compared to malaysia we're on our historical emissions is only at 0.37% as of 2020 so we haven't contributed much to the climate crisis mm-hmm. but we are we are very vulnerable to the impacts so that's why i keep emphasizing on you know building the rakyat's resilient and it needs to happen fast Mm. We always hear, isn't it, that the richer G20 countries are the one that has historically contributed to all this change, and yet the ones that are suffering the most are the um, lower and middle income countries, who just who who unfortunately are suffering all the impact of all the climate change. 
Yeah. Um, we'll go for a quick break now, Aru, and continue this discussion when we come back and we'll talk, we'll dive more into the resilience aspect of it as well. On the show with me today is Aru Ayuni, Com- uh, Communications Director of Klima Action Malaysia or KAMI, and we are talking about the current floods that are happening in the southern states of Malaysia, but also more broadly about whether we're doing enough to tackle this aspect of climate change. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on Live and Learn, PFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn on The Bigger Picture with me, Lim Suan. On the show with me today is Aru Ayuni, Communications Director of Klima Action Malaysia, also known as KAMI. And we are talking about the floods that are currently happening in the southern states of Peninsula Malaysia. And um, among the states that are most badly affected is Johor, um, including the network of um, Orang Asli villages that are in the state. Now, KAMI is fundraising for the Jaringan Perkampungan Orang Asli Johor, also known as JPOAJ, and we'll get into that um, a bit later. But I want to touch on one thing you mentioned before the break, Aru, about how you say that a lot of people are becoming numb to the situation. And But how does that compare to what action um, you're seeing from policymakers to address and prevent floods? So, well, I'm seeing more actions and immediate actions on the ground uh, of grassroots communities. But then these actions are basically people reacting to what's happening. So in terms of policymaking, I think we have to realize that floods will continue to come, whether you like it or not. I mean, not just floods, but any other climate impacts are coming. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I mean, you don't have to accept it, but we kind of, all of us have to agree that we need to reduce our vulnerability and basically increase our resilience and basically adapt to what's happening because we don't have any more choice uh, I mean we can build the best uh, systems we can build the best everything but at the end of the day we are already past that point we are living in the era of loss and damage we are already past those adaptations point so yeah we are con- we will continue to build you know more expensive infrastructures but then it's all about adapting now so the emission gap report from the united nations environment program in 2022 found that the current global policies is leading to a 2.8 degrees celsius temperature rise by the end of the century mm-hmm. so just to be clear we human civilization cannot live beyond 2.8 uh, 2.0 temperature rise. So yeah, in t- for Malaysia, um, in terms of our, our vulnerability, the the only thing that we can do right now is basically adapt. So that's why the national adaptation plan is, is so important. And I think policymakers also need to realize that you know adaptation is is the first thing that we need to handle right now. Mm. What aspects are we? Uh, what could you give some examples of what we're talking about when we say adaptation? So in terms of adaptations, we need to build, you know, for example, in this rescue efforts, we need to build basically better systems on how to, we, we talk about data integrity, how to collect all this information, how uh, how do we define definition uh, the definition of adaptation. So these are things that need to be put down on paper uh, and in our policies. So yeah, those are just some of the examples. 
Hmm. You know, in response to the current floods, the Prime Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim has said that, you know, he will be pushing to expedite flood mitigation projects, um, especially those uh, that are set to happen in Johor. Now, according to news reports, these are projects that are worth at least 600 million ringgit or more. But what do we know about how these flood mitigation projects will help? That's the thing. We, we don't know. And I think... We also need to ask engineers about mm-hmm. what do they think uh, our adaptations are like in the next few years. Uh, you know, how how are we going to how are we going to live above this past this adaptations point right now? Uh, is Malaysia going to survive? Is Kuala Lumpur not going underwater in the next few years? We, mm-hmm. we don't know. And I think this is where intersectionality and interdisciplinary uh, knowledge comes in, uh, where scientists need to work with human rights, people in the human rights space, uh, engineers working with scientists, uh, climate scientists. So yeah, this intersection uh, and interdisciplinary work needs to happen. And um, they need to be one of the important stakeholders in, in these policies. Mm. What type of commitment or action would Kami like to see you know, from policymakers to show that they, they are taking it seriously, that we want to address the floods or we want to even prevent it from happening? So the Climate Change Act will take a few years to be tabled. And of, of course, that is, that is slow. And the federal action is also slow for the national adaptation plans. So we urge the local governments, KPKT, to basically immediately establish local councils uh, comprised of grassroots residents association, disability groups, women groups, just to name a few, to basically increase uh, resilience and empowerment at local level. So all these things are already happening on the local level. Mm-hmm. It just it just need to be need to be formalized and need to be acknowledged that these things are already happening. We cannot rely for, for the Climate Change Act and wait another three years. So we, we don't know how many floods or how many droughts are going to happen in the next in the next three years. And um, I also want to emphasize on the human rights lens uh, mm-hmm. in all of these crises uh, that are happening. So, for example, the, the floods in 2021, we, we still don't know many information about what happened there. And so the information must be disclosed for the public uh, and also debated in parliament. Um, as we know, Malaysia is uh, to base, Malaysia is basically a party to many international obligations. So the Rio Declaration, the Paris Agreement, the Sendai Disaster Framework. So these are all provisions provisions on human rights. So. Yeah, we, we basically need to highlight the human rights lens. The media has the responsibility on uh, reporting the human rights lens in this crisis and uh, and also highlight the social aspects, basically the impacts of flood and how it is impacting vulnerable groups such as the Orang Asli and also highlighting the inequality and the lack of social pro- uh, protection. Yeah. I want to dive a bit into what you mentioned about, you know, um, the importance of building that that network at the community level. Why is it important that we look at the grassroots level, not just, you know, from top down, right? Not just at what's happening in parliament, but building that resilience within the community. Because the most of the information that you're seeing on the media is mm-hmm. basically all the information we're getting from the grassroots. So these are not, you know, from any jabatan or 
any official bodies, the mo- the fastest information that we're getting are from the grassroots communities because people on the local level know what's happening and they are in the middle of it. So it's only fair to let them speak and basically uh, it's only fair to say that they are the ones that exactly know what, what is happening. So by empowering them, we can... Uh, we can respond faster and basically reduce impacts uh, of the floods that are happening. So, yeah, that, that's why empowering grassroots community should be at the forefront. And we know that in res- any rescue efforts, the, the, the faster, I mean, since 2021, we know that grassroots communities are basically, um, you know, the people behind, uh, behind the rescue efforts in the Banji 2021. So, I, I know that we, we see that there are many um, uh, kawasan that, that basically blocks NGOs or grassroots groups to come in into the specific villages. Um, I I, see, I I think that only hinders the rescue efforts. Mm-hmm. I know that um, I know that they are trying to uh, centralize efforts, but it is slow, and this has also been highlighted by a lot of orang asli villages. You know the the efforts, but from the government are coming in slow. So the, um, you know local grassroots communities are, are way faster, and that way we can reduce reduce the impacts. Hmm. I think with a lot of things, we always hear that you know it, there is benefit to decentralize, right? Because you speed up the process. Yes. Hmm. Why is it? vital that we do something to mitigate this this likelihood of floods, the, the impact if it happens, rather than, you know, just accepting that this is just an annual event here in Malaysia, right? What are the consequences if we don't do something now to prevent more severe floods from happening? Like I said, the floods will continue to happen whether we like it or not. We are already living in the climate crisis. We are already living in this era. So now it's it's let's talk about how are we going to adapt and you know I mean mitigation is also important mm-hmm. but like we discussed before Malaysia's contribution is very little so we really when we are on this international negotiations level um, the Malaysian delegation we need to push for all these G20 countries to really reduce the emissions and basically pay for loss and damages in these developing countries and so yeah that that needs to be emphasized Mm. And taking even even just if we take action to address floods, for example, it will have ripple effects on how we tackle climate change as a whole, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right. Um, you know, Kami is also fundraising for the Joho Indigenous People's Village Network, as I mentioned earlier, or the JPOAJ. Um, could you provide a bit more context about, I guess, why you chose to fundraise for the network as well as, you know, a bit more about what you've heard from the communities? So, like I said earlier, the Orang Asli villages, they receive very low visibility about in terms of reporting what's happening in their villages. So, we know from our friends, we know from Facebook, but these are these are the areas that are not covered on the media. So, the JPOAJ, um, they, they are a wide network of Orang Asli in Johor. So, that is why we, uh, we chose... To help fundraise for them, and um, yeah, that that's basically. It. I know that there's a lot of other fundraising efforts that are going on for uh, non orang asli people, of course. But I think it's also important to highlight that there are so many people who are not visible on the media. So yeah. 
Mm. And um, how will these funds be used? Do we know? Uh, so what we know so far is that the funds will be used basically to fuel boats uh, and basically any re- rescue efforts and buying supplies uh, in, in Johor. Mm, all right. And if people are interested in donating, I guess, where can they go to find more information? You can go to our Instagram page, our social media at Klima Action Malaysia, or you can immediately go to facebook.com slash JPOAJ on their Facebook page. There's details on uh, yeah banking details. Mm. All right. And I guess before we um, round up our discussion, Aru, would you have a final takeaway message for our listeners about, I guess, what they can do in, in situations like this? I think it's important that you do not ignore this news. I know it's an un- it's uncomfortable news uh, seeing all these floods that are happening. And even if you are impacted yourself, uh, you know, uh, it is hard to listen to this news. What I say is that do, do not avoid this news and try to connect it to the climate crisis. Try to connect it to what's happening in your life. And to the young people, I say, you know, you cannot keep on scrolling on social media and ignore this news. You have to somehow connect it and somehow um, basically do something. And yeah, that's basically it. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today, Aru. Thanks so much for having me. I've been speaking to Aro Ayuni, Communications Director of Klima Action Malaysia, or also known as KAMI, about the floods that are happening in the southern states of Peninsula Malaysia, as well as how we can do better to address the impact of climate change, especially within our local communities. If you missed any part of today's show or any previous Live and Learn episodes, you can download our podcast on bfm.my or on the BFM app. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Live and Learn BFM 89. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.